Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Guardian. The founder of a company that distributes designs for untraceable 3D guns is selling blueprints through his website after a federal judge blocked him from posting the instructions for free. In July 2018, a U.S. district judge issued a temporary restraining order against a company called Defense Distributed, run by crypto anarchist Cody Wilson, to prevent them from releasing the blueprints for a 3D printed gun. These blueprints would enable anyone with access to the right tools and materials to print a firearm that would be untraceable, with no background checks needed. To get around this injunction, which stopped him from making the plans public for free, Wilson started selling them online and distributing them via email and USB in August. He is now charging customers who can name their own price for those designs. Wilson argues that he should be able to share these blueprints with everyone in the world, so that includes people with a criminal record or a mental illness, or even children, and that preventing him from doing so violates the First Amendment to the United States Constitution, that is, the right to freedom of speech. I think it's a matter of principle. I know it's absurd to some degree to fight for your principles in, in a culture like this, but I think it's a worthy demonstration, and of course I could always demonstrate like today that I could always sell these files, and I'll continue to do so. We're not going to try to untangle the thorny issue of First Amendment rights, but we are very interested in the fact that the courts and policymakers are yet again struggling to keep up with the pace of technology. And in this case, regulation might be a matter of life and death. If I'm not allowed to buy a traditionally manufactured firearm, why might I be able to print one? You've now got a technology which can manufacture anything. People are using it and exploring it uh, to make weapons. Regulating that and making sure that the technology is used in the right way is something that a lot of governments are very conscious of. I would say no one's got the right answer for it. People have used 3D printing for all sorts of creations. Prosthetic limbs, components for spacecrafts. In the same month the judge issued a restraining order against these 3D printed gun blueprints, we heard news of the world's first inhabitants of a 3D-printed house. But as this technology becomes cheaper and easier to use, how do we prevent people from abusing it? I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and this week I'm looking at how a technology that was once considered our answer to manufacturing snags has become a legal, contractual, and ethical nightmare for policymakers around the world. This is Chips With Everything. We're developing a new technology for designers who use CAD-CAM computers 
This is so that the designer can directly make a prototype from the image that he has on the screen of his terminal. We call this technology stereolithography. This is You're hearing the voice of Charles Hull, otherwise known as Chuck. In the mid to late 1980s, Chuck patented the first stereolithography process, which was considered the first commercial 3D printing technology. He wasn't the first person to look into 3D printing. Some accounts say its history dates way back to the 19th century and photo sculpture, where people used cameras to capture an object in three dimensions. But although 3D printing has been around for longer than you might think, there seems to have been a shift in interest in the technology recently. And I wanted to find out more. So my name is Dr. Billy Wu. I'm a lecturer in the Dyson School of Design and Engineering at Imperial College London. According to Billy, 3D printing is as exciting for his students as it is for him. 3D printing allows them to adopt a, what we call a fail-fast approach. So they can go from an idea to a concept to a prototype extremely quickly, so within the space of 24 hours, test it, iterate it, and then come up with a better design. And in the past, that's taken several weeks to do, and now we can do that in a very short amount of time, which allows you to be a lot more creative and explore new design options. This experimentation aspect is an important element of 3D printing. But as Billy explains, there's much more to it than that. So we're experiencing uh, at the moment what we call the maker movement, and 3D printing is a key enabling technology to enable that revolution from happening. In addition to that, we do a lot of work in aerospace. So things like planes, they are not high volume pieces of uh, equipment, so you're not gonna make hundreds of thousands of planes, but they're high value. And in those applications, 3D printing allows us to create components which we couldn't have made in any other way, which allows us to get planes that are more fuel efficient, they're lighter, uh, so they can go further and faster. Similarly, we're doing a lot of work in medical applications where in 3D printing, the concept of mass personalization, so everyone is slightly different, it's really important. So with 3D printing, we can make medical implants that are bespoke to you as opposed to something that isn't quite right. On a previous episode of this podcast, we had the journalist Kat Hawkins on the show, and she told us how technologists are experimenting with 3D printing prosthetic limbs. Considering there are millions of amputees in the world, this could be revolutionary. And it seems like the kind of thing that people like Chuck Hull wanted to achieve when the technology was first invented. So traditional manufacturing is based around subtractive manufacturing. So if I wanted to make a component for a car, let's say, I start with a block of aluminium, and then based on the design of what I want to create, I'll slowly chip away material and remove it. And actually that's a very wasteful process because that material we're removing, we're not actually using, and it's quite time consuming actually. So 3D printing kind of was born out of the need to kind of accelerate the prototyping process. So if you want to be very fast in market and respond to uh, new needs of your customers, you need a technology which allows you to very rapidly go from that idea into a working reality. So we've known about this technology since the 1980s and the inception of stereolithography, but it seems like we're hearing much more about it since the beginning of the last century. Why is that? What changed? 3D printing has really taken off because the cost of the technology has fallen so dramatically. So when the first patents uh, came out and the first uh, stereolithography machines became available, uh, the cost of a single machine was in the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of uh, pounds, which basically meant, meant no uh, consumer could access the technology. It was very much limited to industrial applications. And since uh, the first patent, there's been a lot of innovations in terms of making the technology cheaper. 
So you can actually buy 3D printers now that are less than £1,000, which starts to become affordable for the common consumer. And the reason for this dramatic change in price? Well, apparently that patent we mentioned earlier for Chuck Hull's stereolithography process expired in the late 2000s, and several companies had been waiting in the wings for the moment they could release their own, cheaper alternatives. The material that you use, um, or the filaments, again, you can buy them on Amazon or any other uh, website now, and they cost maybe £30 per kilogram, uh, which is reasonable. It could be cheaper, and uh, it's gradually is getting cheaper. Where do you think the future lies for 3D printing? How do you think we'll see the technology being used in five or ten years? So we're seeing applications of 3D printing beyond aerospace, uh, medical and uh, automotive in areas like construction. So people actually uh, making 3D printed houses, which is quite cool because if you're in a remote area and you want to build a house, you don't want to be carrying bricks around. Maybe you want to use local resources there to form your house and that's a very labour-intensive process. So if you can automate that, There's clear advantages there. I think we're going to see more what I call smarter 3D printing, where you can do multi-materials. So what if you could have plastic with metal and also integrate electronics into it? So now the object that you print can also sense the environment around it. So giving this powerful tool to the normal consumer, uh, I think is a great thing. And we're going to see things that we haven't expected before. So the rate of innovation is going to go a lot faster than people expect. The idea that it's becoming more feasible to 3D print whatever you want is an exciting one. But is there a downside? Could a 3D printing revolution lead to the destruction of the manufacturing industry as we know it, with millions of jobs along with it? Well, um, as good as 3D printing is, I think uh, it has certain advantages and it has certain disadvantages as well. There's always going to be a place for traditional manufacturing, I think. So uh, pure mass production, where you want to drive down the cost of things as much as possible, I think 3D printing is unlikely to ever fully compete with that. So to give you an example of how 3D printing can help traditional manufacturing, one of our PhD students uh, at our university, he's looking at uh, using metal 3D printing to make the the molds for the injection molding process. So injection molding, extremely high rate, uh, can make um, components extremely cheaply. Uh, But the problem is that when you make the tooling for it, so the shape of the bottle or whatever component it is, that takes a long time and it's very expensive. With 3D printing, we can go from a design on a computer into printing the object and putting it on the injection molder within 24 hours. So that helps to address some of the challenges with traditional manufacturing uh, while sticking to the strengths of additive manufacturing. So we talk a lot on this podcast about how the pace of technological development is much, much faster than um, considerations about things like ethics and law. So they often can't keep up. And 3D printing, it seems like, is no different. So what are some of the dangers of 3D printing? So it's been relatively well uh, reported in the news that some people have designed um, guns and uh, other weapons using 3D printing. And that's one of the advantages and disadvantages of the technology. It enables you to manufacture anything you want uh, without the need for tooling, which has traditionally limited people from manufacturing their own weapons. Uh, So I suppose that's one of the things we've got to be conscious of. You've now got a technology which can manufacture anything. People are using it and exploring it uh, to make weapons. Um, Regulating that and making sure that the technology is used in the right way is something that a lot of governments are very conscious of. I would say no one's got the right answer for it at the moment. And how we legislate against digital ownership 
uh, is very important as well. So now that people, people can manufacture their own goods, where does that leave the original designer of the good? Uh, because that intellectual property is worth something. So there's a lot of question marks over that, but also lots of opportunities for people to come up with really innovative solutions to kind of solve those problems. So we don't know how to control this 3D printing revolution. But after the break, we'll talk to a professor who is working to find some solutions. On the one hand, it's about protecting uh, the creator's rights. And on the other hand, it's about not stifling creativity. And it's about fostering innovation. And in fact, when I led that project for the UK Intellectual Property Office, and we completed that in 2015, the question was, you know, should we regulate? And we actually recommended a wait-and-see approach. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Lee Glendening, and in this month's We Need to Talk About podcast, our panel answer Guardian supporters' questions on the impact of artificial intelligence. How will AI affect our jobs in healthcare? How does the physical manifestation of AI change the way we interact with it? Are we placing too much trust in AI tech without understanding how it works? We look into the true threat of autonomous weapon systems and discuss in a world filling with bots what happens when AI goes wrong. That's all in We Need to Talk About the Impact of Artificial Intelligence. To have a listen, head over to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Welcome back to Chips With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Before the break, we spoke to Professor Billy Wu about how 3D printing shifted from being a technology we admired from afar, because we couldn't afford it, to something that is now an accessible avenue for anyone to print anything they want, even guns. So how is this allowed to happen? The reason why it's so hard to regulators because by the time the law tries to catch up with the technology, it's gone at least another 10 um, steps ahead. So Danusha Mendes is the Professor of Intellectual Property Law at Bournemouth University. She's currently in the middle of co-editing a book called 3D Printing and Beyond, Intellectual Property and Regulation. It's due for publication in February 2019, but I invited her into the studio to talk about it and some of her other research. UK, US and Australia, we want to look at the challenges, the gaps, the weaknesses in the laws in these three jurisdictions, and then consider how those gaps can be addressed and also um, inform policy. We mentioned at the beginning of the show that US lawmakers have struggled to agree on what to do about Cody Wilson's plan to distribute blueprints for 3D printed firearms to anyone who might want them. But there are other reasons to be worried about what 3D printing can produce. So because I'm from the field of intellectual property, 
I would say from that perspective, it would be things like piracy and counterfeiting. You know, you could potentially scan an object and 3D print it. And people have developed apps like Clone, with a Q, and Scan3D, two ends, that allow users to scan an object and, if they have access to a printer, print as many copies as they can at the click of a button. Having said that, there are also other I mean, worries. For example, if you download a file and you print a toy for your child um, and the child is injured, then there's product liability issues. It can also give rise to security safety issues. The question of liability has popped up a few times over the course of this episode. Take the example of a 3D printed house. If a light fixture falls from the ceiling and injures you, who can you blame? The construction company? The creators of the 3D printer that was used? The people who published the blueprints for that lighting fixture? The person who created the original fixture from which the 3D print was copied? And even after all of those kinds of decisions have been made, how much would it cost to insure a house like that? And then, of course, there's this issue with guns. But Danusha thinks we have some time before we have to really start worrying about the impact of 3D-printed guns being unleashed on society. You've got to understand, though, that the hardware, like the printer, the materials, and even the skill to actually create a design file, we are still in the early days. So, I mean, even if you were to print a gun, whether it's going to be working the way you want it, you know, is a, is a different matter altogether. So we are still a few years away from it being the perfect item you want it to be when you 3D print something. It seems like it's inevitable, though, that we will get to that point, right, with the pace of technological change. Yes, I mean, yes, of course, we will. And I have no doubt in my mind that we are waiting for the maybe the Bill Gates or the Steve Jobs moment and someone will do something to make it more accessible. Already it's accessible, but at the moment it is still a few steps away from really being there. So does Danusha have any ideas that might help lawmakers regulate this industry? Yeah, I think I mean, that's a fair question. On the one hand, it's about protecting uh, the creator's rights. And on the other hand, it's about not stifling creativity. And it's about fostering innovation. And in fact, when I led that project for the UK Intellectual Property Office, and we completed that in 2015, the question was, you know, should we regulate? And we actually recommended a wait-and-see approach because... We felt, having done the research, having done the empirical work and having got the results we did, it is in its infancy, and um, at least from a consumer perspective. So, you know, I don't think there's a specific right answer, but I think it's about striking the right balance. So if we did go ahead and regulate, how would that even be possible? People have their own 3D printers in the privacy of their own home. Blueprints can be distributed over the internet. How do you regulate against For example, in the UK, we had something called private copying exception, but it was only for a very short time. But there are other continental countries that have a private use exception. So if you were to regulate, you know, those are the kind of gaps that we have picked up in our book. And one gap that I mentioned is that private use. So if, for example, you're going to print it for your own use only, then maybe that is one way we can look at it. But that, again, throws up a whole new... And you're smiling at me. Well, you know, I was going to say, surely in the case of 3D printed firearms, private use is the one is the one we're worried about, right? We're worried about individuals in their own homes making guns and then going out and shooting people. Exactly. So there you go. I mean, you know, it might be like a hobby item is fine, but then a firearm is not fine. So, I mean, at this stage, all we can look at is the intellectual property framework 
and we look at that as in our book at least from three different jurisdictions and we identify areas whereby these weaknesses can be addressed. In part one of the book, one of the chapters contains the question, what does the future hold? So what's the answer? Is the future of 3D printing utopian or dystopian? I'm not sure that I want to use either of those words, but I would say that with every new technology, there are so many good things and so many advantages. And I think 3D printing is no different. It's just about, you know, that we have to think about um, and we have to inform policy and think about how best we can regulate that technology. So I think the future is bright, but we need to regulate um, 3D printing in a way that will be beneficial for all stakeholders. So for consumers, for industry, and for all those who are involved in that technology. So we've not quite reached the point where anyone on Earth can 3D print their own home in a matter of days or make their own gun, toy or real. But as Danusha says, maybe we're just waiting for the 3D printing version of Bill Gates to figure out a way for you or I to be able to afford a personal printer for the corner of the sitting room. Of course, there are plenty of positive applications for this technology. We just need lawmakers around the world to pick up the pace and come up with a way to protect the public from the potential harm. I'd like to thank Professor Billy Wu and Professor Danusha Mendes for joining me on the show this week. If you have any thoughts or questions on 3D printing, you can drop me a line at chipspodcast at theguardian.com. Chips with Everything is produced by Danielle Stevens. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Thanks for listening. <laughs>